In a deal led by the BuzzFeed founder, Jonah Peretti, two giants of the web plan to join forces to better compete in an increasingly crowded field. After falling prey to some of the same business difficulties that have plagued newspapers and magazines, the digital media giants BuzzFeed and Huffington Post, well basically HuffPost, have decided to join forces, the companies announced on Thursday. Under the plan, BuzzFeed will acquire HuffPost from its owner, Verizon Media, as part of a larger stock deal. The company said and the BuzzFeed and HuffPost websites will remain distinct, each with its own editorial staff. The BuzzFeed founder, Jonah Peretti, who helped found HuffPost 15 years ago, will serve as the chief executive. As part of the arrangement, Verizon Media will become a minority shareholder in BuzzFeed, the company said, but it will not have a seat on BuzzFeed's board. We're excited about our partnership with Verizon Media and mutual benefits that will come from syndicating content across each other's properties, collaborating on innovative ad products in the future of commerce, and tapping into the strength and creativity of Verizon Media Immersive, Mr. Peretti said in a statement. BuzzFeed and HuffPost have struggled with both having gone through rounds of layoffs in recent years. Mr. Peretti believes that getting bigger is the right move for his business. Digital media, a relatively open territory when HuffPost started in 2005, has grown crowded and more competitive. Google and Facebook have grabbed huge chunks of ad revenue from publishers. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch are taking would-be readers' attention, and many legacy media outlets have gotten the hang of the web while also figuring out how to persuade readers to pay for content. The deal between BuzzFeed and HuffPost marks the fourth significant merger among name-brand digital publishers following the combination of Vox Media and New York Magazine. Vice Media's acquisition of Refinery29 and Group 9's merger with Pop Sugar. Digital journalism needs size to survive, and even these deals may not be enough to sustain their operations. Because BuzzFeed and HuffPost appeal to different readerships, they should complement each other as part of the same company, Mr. Peretti said in an interview on Thursday. We want HuffPost to be more HuffPosty and BuzzFeed to be more BuzzFeedy. There's not much audience overlap, he said. These are different audiences they serve on the editorial side and the consumer side. We want to have a lot of independence and autonomy for HuffPost and for it to be to determine its own brand. Mr. Peretti, who is 46, also said HuffPost will have a new editor-in-chief in the site's previous top editor, from 2016 until March of this year was Lydia Polgreen, a former New York Times editor. She left HuffPost to become the head of content at the podcasting company Gimlet Media, and a successor has yet to be named. On the business side, operations are likely to be combined. Mr. Peretti approached Verizon on several occasions about a possible HuffPost acquisition. He said in the interview, in 2018, shortly after Hans E. Vestberg was named Verizon's chief executive, Mr. Peretti made an overture 
only to be rebuffed. He said he found a willing ear in January at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, the convention that draws digital publishers, tech companies, and major advertisers who meet to broker multi-million-dollar marketing agreements between Games of Craps and Blackjack. In a suite at the Aria Resort and Casino on the 35th floor overlooking the Vegas Strip, Mr. Peretti met with Guru Go Rappin, the Verizon Media chief executive who reports to Mr. Vestberg to discuss ways the two companies could work together. At first, they discussed how Verizon Media could help BuzzFeed with its ad technology, as well as the possibility of entering into a content-sharing arrangement. Some months later, the talk turned into an acquisition, Mr. Purdy said. While considering opportunities to work together, naturally Jonah and I also discussed the property he co-founded, HuffPost, Mr. Gorapin said in a statement. We quickly realized BuzzFeed's strategy would complement HuffPost's roadmap, injecting it with new energy and growing the brand into the future. HuffPost had seen a large drop in revenue because of the coronavirus pandemic, according to two people with knowledge of the company, who were not authorized to discuss it publicly. In an interview, Mr. Gorapin said that the company believed in Mr. Peretti's approach, which persuaded him that a merger deal would add value. Once the deal goes through, BuzzFeed will have to find ways to cut costs, the two people said. Mr. Peretti's company was on track to turn a profit this year, but the addition of HuffPost will add more costs starting next year. The deal includes some cash from Verizon that will help BuzzFeed pay for severance for possible layoffs and other costs associated with the merger, the two people said. Both outlets share DNA. Along with the political power player Ariana Huffington and the investor Kenneth Lehrer, Mr. Peretti was part of the team that created the original Huffington Post, as it was then known, in 2005. The driving idea was to build a liberal version of Drudge Report, an online gathering spot for readers fed up with the George W. Bush administration. The site benefited from Ms. Huffington's Rolodex. Back when Rolodexes were still a thing, she was able to charm big-name contributors from Hollywood and the Beltway to write for free. Steeped in the Google algorithm, Mr. Purdy, the site's chief technology officer, along with his editors, helped make Huffington Post into an online force, one that featured a new brand of journalism, unapologetically web-native, complete with slideshows, hot-take opinion pieces, and curiosity-inducing headlines that drew millions of clicks in the years before Twitter and other social media platforms took charge of the internet discourse. In 2006, Mr. Peretti, a scientist of the web with a perennial interest in which pieces of online content proved most engaging to readers, started BuzzFeed while he was still HuffPost chief technology officer. At first, it was an experimental project that he ran out of a small office in Manhattan's Chinatown, and Mr. Peretti left HuffPost in 2011 after it was sold to AOL for $315 million. And with the help of $35 million from corporate investors, he transformed his side gig into a standalone media company. 
BuzzFeed caught on as a website filled with features aimed at a largely millennial audience. Things like 21 pictures that will restore your faith in humanity and a video of BuzzFeeders trying to make a watermelon explode. As the site matured, it went deep into current events coverage and investigative articles under BuzzFeed News, a division that was led for eight years by its founding editor, Ben Smith, before he joined The Times as its media columnist and is now run by Mark Schuess. But struggles lay ahead. In 2017, BuzzFeed cut 100 employees after missing revenue targets. Last year, it laid off more than 220 employees, or 15% of its workforce. Amid the cost-cutting measures, BuzzFeed added banner ads, a form of advertising it once eschewed. It even expanded to the retail business with branded products, including a recent partnership to create adult toys. HuffPost cut 39 employees during a round of layoffs in 2017. In early 2019, Verizon said it would cut 800 positions, or 7% of its media divisions, later that year. HuffPost let 11 video employees go. In a 2018 interview with the Times, Mr. Peretti dropped huge hints that his site would be better off as part of a larger entity. If BuzzFeed and five of the other biggest companies were combined into a bigger digital media company, he said at the time, you would probably be able to get paid more money. In the interview on Thursday, Mr. Purdy did not rule out another merger. We will continually look at the opportunities, but I haven't taken the approach of trying to rush it, he said just before hopping off the call to lead an all-hands meeting of the HuffPost staff. We're building a real platform for digital media to get more value from content operations that we own that everyone should be getting. Check out fortinbox.com to master your money, personal finance lessons and courses, want to make money online, learn the four steps to make money online in the description of this episode. You can get a free stock worth up to $500 by joining Robinhood and linking a bank account. And you can automate your investing with Acorns where they just round up to your round up to the next dollar amount from your everyday purchases and auto-invest that difference. You get a, could get a small amount of free Bitcoin by joining Coinbase and investing $100. So I discovered a pretty crazy thing, so... Let's get into it. A federal wrongful death lawsuit alleges that a manager at a Tyson Foods plant in Iowa organized a group bet on how many meatpacking employees would contract COVID-19 just as the coronavirus began to spread widely among plant workers in late March and early April. Now, before we get into this, right, before we read this, the way that someone could look at this situation, right? Is that this could be something similar to where you have two, like, military guys who make some, like, really dark humor to try to get over some craziness kind of stuff, right? But most likely, this is just kind of crossing the line, right? So feel free to give your thoughts. The suit filed on behalf of the estate of deceased Tyson Foods Incorporated employee Isidro Fernandez alleges that COVID-19 was spreading widely at the Waterloo, Iowa pork processing plant in early April when Black Hawk County Sheriff 
Tony Thompson visited with county health officials. Working conditions at the plant were so bad that they shook Thompson to the core, according to the suit, which said that at the time, Waterloo plant workers were crowded together and few wore face coverings. The suit alleges that Thompson lobbied Tyson to close the plant and they did not. The suit also alleges that as Waterloo employees fell ill, Tyson transferred employees from another shuttered facility to Waterloo and did not properly test those employees before doing so, worsening the spread. Around this time, defendant Tom Hart, the plant manager of the Waterloo facility, organized a cash buy-in, winner-take-all betting pool for supervisors and managers to wager how many employees would test positive for COVID-19, this suit alleges. Hart did not immediately respond to the NBC News request for comment. And on April 22nd, due to the widespread of the coronavirus among its employees, Tyson shut down their Waterloo-Iowa pork processing plant that is at the center of this lawsuit. In ads in major newspapers on April 26th, Tyson executives warned that the food supply was breaking. On April 28th, President Donald Trump signed an executive order ordering meat plants to stay open. Tyson reopened its Waterloo-Iowa facility on May 5th, according to a press release. The suit alleges that in all, 1,000 of 2,800 Waterloo plant employees were infected with the coronavirus. The many dozens of Tyson employees at other plants in states like Indiana and Iowa also contracted coronavirus in spring of this year, NBC News reported. We are extremely upset about the accusations involving some of the leadership at our Waterloo plant, Tyson said in a statement made public Thursday. We have suspended, without pay, the individuals allegedly involved and have retained the law firm Covington and Burling LLP to conduct an independent investigation led by former Attorney General Eric Holder. So this is kind of like an interesting situation. I mean... I hope that they didn't actually have like a betting pool because that is pretty dark to do to your uh, employees. But we'll see in the future. You can check out 40 to master your money, personal finance lessons and courses. Do you want to make money online? Learn the four steps to make money online in the description of this episode. You can also get a free stock worth up to $500 by joining Robinhood and linking a bank account. You can automate your investing with Acorns. And you can get free Bitcoin by joining Coinbase and investing $100. Facebook announced Thursday that artificial intelligence software now detects 94.7% of the hate speech that gets removed from its platform. Mike Schroepfer, whatever, how you ever pronounce that name, Facebook's chief technology officer revealed the figure in a blog post, adding that it is up from 80.5% a year ago and just 24% in 2017. The figure was also shared in Facebook's latest community standards enforcement report. 
Social media firms such as Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok have been criticized for failing to keep hate speech, such as racial slurs and religious attacks, off their platform. The companies employ thousands of content moderators around the world to police the posts, photos, and videos that get shared on their platforms. And on Wednesday, more than 200 Facebook moderators said in an open letter to CEO Mark Zuckerberg that the company has risked their lives by forcing them back to the office during the coronavirus pandemic. But humans alone aren't enough, and the tech giants have become increasingly reliant on a field of AI known as machine learning, whereby algorithms improve automatically through experience. A central focus of Facebook's AI efforts is deploying cutting-edge machine learning technology to protect people from harmful content," said Schroepfer. I want to say Schro, right? Because that is a horrible name to pronounce. With billions of people using our platforms, we rely on AI to scale our content review work and automate decisions when possible," he added. Our goal is to spot hate speech, misinformation, and other forms of policy-violating content quickly and accurately for every form of content and for every language and community around the world. But Facebook's AI software still struggles to spot some pieces of content that break the rules. It finds it harder, for example, to grasp the intended meaning of images that have text overlaid. And it doesn't always get sarcasm or slang. In many of these instances, humans would quickly be able to determine if the content in question violates Facebook's policies. Facebook said it has recently deployed two new AI technologies to help it combat these challenges. The first is called a reinforced integrity optimizer, which learns from real online examples and metrics instead of an offline dataset. The second is an AI architecture called Linformer, which allows Facebook to use complex language understanding models that were previously too large and unwieldy to work at scale. We now use Rio and Linformer in production to analyze Facebook and Instagram content in different regions around the world," said Schroepfer. Facebook said it has also developed a new tool to detect deep fakes, computer-generated videos made to look real. And also made some improvements to an existing system called Sim Search Net, which is an image matching tool designed to spot misinformation on its platform. Taken together, all these innovations mean our AI systems have a deeper, broader understanding of content," said Shro. They are more attuned to things people share on our platforms right now, so they can adapt quicker when a new meme or photo emerges and spreads. Shro noted the challenges Facebook faces are complex, nuanced, and rapidly evolving, adding that misclassifying content as hate speech or misinformation can hamper people's ability to express themselves. You can check out fortyinbox.com to master your money. African cross-border fintech startup Chipper Cash has raised a $30 million Series B funding round led by Ribbit Capital, with participation of Bezos Expeditions, the personal VC fund of Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos.
Chipper Cash was founded in San Francisco in 2018 by Ugandan Ham Saranjogi and Ghanaian Majid Mujalad. The company offers mobile-based, no-fee P2P payment services in seven countries: Ghana, Uganda, Nigeria, Tanzania, Tanzania, Tanzania. I can't even pronounce that. Rwanda, South Africa, and Kenya. Parallel to its P2P app, the startup also runs Chipper Checkout, a merchant-focused fee-based payment product that generates the revenue to support Chipper Cash's free mobile money business. The company has scaled to three million users on its platform, and processes an average of eighty thousand transactions daily. In June 2020. Chipper Cash reached a monthly payments value of one hundred million dollars, according to CEO Ham Saranjogi. As part of the Series B raise, the startup plans to expand its products and geographic scope, and on the product side, that entails offering more business payment solutions, cryptocurrency trading options, and investment services. We'll always be a P2P financial transfer platform at our core, but we've had demand from our users to offer other value services like purchasing cryptocurrency assets and making investments in stocks. Surinjogi told TechCrunch on a call. Chipper Cash has added beta dropdowns on its website and app to buy and sell Bitcoin and invest in U.S. stocks from Africa, the latter through a partnership with U.S. financial services company DriveWealth. We'll launch the stock product in Nigeria first, so Nigerians have the option to buy fractional stocks. Tesla shares, Apple shares, or even Amazon shares, and others through our app. We'll expand into other countries thereafter," said Saranjogi. On the business financial services side, the startup plans to offer more API payments solutions. We've been getting a lot of requests from people on our P2P platform, who also have business enterprises to be able to collect payments for sale of goods," explained Sernjogi. Chipper Cash also plans to use its Series B financing for additional country expansion, which the company will announce by the end of 2021. Jeff Bezos' backing of Chipper Cash follows a recent string of events. That has elevated the visibility of Africa's startup scene over the past decade. The continent's tech ecosystem has been one of the fastest growing in the world by year over year, well, year by year, year over year expansion in venture capital and startup formation concentrated in countries such as Nigeria, Kenya, and South Africa. Bringing Africa's large Unbanked population and underbanked consumers and SMEs online has factored prominently. Roughly 66% of Sub-Saharan Africans, Africa's 1 billion people, don't have a bank account, according to World Bank data. As such, fintech has become Africa's highest-funded tech sector, receiving the bulk of an estimated $2 billion in VC that went to startups in 2019. Even with the rapid venture funding growth over the last decade, Africa's tech scene has been performance light, with only one known unicorn, e-commerce venture Jumia, a handful of exits, and no major public share offerings that changed last year.
In April 2019, Jumia, backed by investors including Goldman Sachs and MasterCard, went public in an NYSE IPO. Later in the year, a Nigerian fintech company, Interswitch, achieved unicorn status after a $200 million investment by Visa. This year, Network International purchased East African Payments startup DPO for $288 million, and in August, World Remit acquired Africa Focus Remittance Company Sendwave for $500 million. In an email to TechCrunch, a spokesperson for Bezos Expeditions confirmed the fund's investment in Shipper Cash but declined to comment on further plans to back African startups. Per per crunch-based data, the investment would be the first in Africa for the fund. It's worth noting, Bezos Expeditions is not connected to Jeff Bezos' hallmark business venture, Amazon. For Chipper Cash, the $30 million Series B raise caps an event filled two years for the San Francisco-based payments company and founders Ham Surinjogi and Majid Mujalid. The two came to America for academics, met in Iowa while studying at Grinnell College, and ventured out to Silicon Valley for stints in big tech, Facebook for Surinjogi and Flickr, and Yahoo for Mujalid. The startup called beckoned, and after launching Chipper Cash in 2018, the duo convinced 500 startups and Liquid2 Ventures, co-founded by American football legend Joe Montana, to back their company with seed funds. The startup expanded into Nigeria and Southern Africa in 2019, entered a payments partnership with Visa in April, and raised a $13.8 million Series A in June. Chipper Cash founder Ham Sernjogi believes the backing of his company by a notable tech figure such as Jeff Bezos, the world's richest person, has benefits beyond his venture. It's a big deal when a world-class investor like Bezos or Ribbit goes out of their sweet spot to a new area where they previously haven't done investments, he said. Ultimately, the winner of those things happening is the African tech ecosystem overall, as it will bring more investment from firms of that caliber to African startups. Check out 40 to master your money. Personal finance lessons and courses. Do you want to make money online? Learn the four steps to make money online in the description of this episode. Feel free to get a free stock worth up to $500 by joining Robinhood and linking a bank account. You can automate your investing with Acorns and get a small amount of free Bitcoin by joining Coinbase and investing $100.